Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Father, we want to thank You for Your love, Your mercy, Your grace. Regardless of what we face in life, uh, You're there, ready to strengthen the believer, ready to offer forgiveness and grace and second chances and third and fourth chances. And as we approach 2021, Lord God, we do uh, want to enter into this year from your, with Your grace, Lord God. Even as we just sang, Lord, we need You. Every hour, Lord, we need You. There's not a moment that goes by that we're not utterly dependent on Your grace and on Your Holy Spirit for that matter. And so as we uh, gather in, in Your name with the purpose of looking to Your Word and learning from You, May You grant us grace and mercy. May You give us the Holy Spirit uh, to guide and direct uh, the teaching as we would learn from the truth of the Word. We believe that the Word of God has everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness, and it's found in the knowledge of You, Jesus. And You're right here in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. And So we look to You this evening and pray for Your blessing on our fellowship. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, as we've made our way through Genesis... It's been an awesome journey. I've really learned a ton, right? We've learned a lot about what God originally intended when He created things. One, among the things that we've learned, we've learned that the human race is not a bunch of different races that have evolved at different speeds where you would have inferior races and superior races and all this racist ideologies that come from that. That is not biblical. That evolutionary process is not biblical, despite what you may have heard and the people who try to reconcile the Bible, which has stood the test of time with science that continually changes these theories. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we are one human race. We all came from one family. And someone might say, well, Sean, if that's the case, why do we look so different? Why do we have so many different languages and talk so different? And that's a good question. I would would say, though, that if you take even the most different of human beings and put them together, take a seven-foot-tall Kenyan and a a five-foot-tall Far East Asian man, put them together, and you compare them to other species, it's pretty obvious both are humans, right? I mean, we have come from the same family, but why are there so many variances in how we look and so many variations of language? Well, tonight's chapter will answer that. Tonight's text is known as the Table of Nations in chapter 10, and it shows us how the human race became scattered and separated into various tribes and languages. In fact, the Table of Nations, guys, is one of the most amazing works on the history of mankind, what we are about to read. It's regarded as the best and most accurate account of early distributions of peoples. Universities use this chapter in reference to the migration of people groups. Early on, it's one of the earliest accounts that we have of the people groups and their migrations. Now, what scholars will do is they'll track the languages of people groups to figure out where they migrated. And as we'll see, that's exactly how God scattered them, by confusing their languages. You can take a study of the languages, how they've evolved, and the languages that have spread through different cultures, and you can lay that map over a map of people groups and how they've migrated, and you can see that they match up practically perfectly. There are instances, obviously, where one dominant culture's language takes over another ethnic group or another culture, but for the most part, it matches up very, very clean. Tonight, what we'll see is that 
from four generations from the flood, the majority of these people groups all lived together in this empire that we'll see, and they all spoke the same language. But by chapter 11, God will confuse their tongues. So they all had one, one language, one understanding, one set of words, the Bible says. It's very emphatic. And God confuses that and creates different languages, which is interesting to note. God had the power of the tongue. He gave Adam the ability to speak right away, as we saw in Genesis. He was able to communicate right away. And now God creates multiple languages just like that. So let's jump right in. These languages led to people groups which led to uh, these table of nations that we have here. Verse 1 says, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were, and I'm going to list these off, and it's going to be a lot of names. I'm going to offer a commentary kind of in running about who scholars believe these people uh, became as far as people groups. So the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Gomer's believed to be the Germanic peoples, which, which cover a lot of different, basically white people in Europe. Uh, Germ- the Germans, the Danes, the Dutch, the Anglo-Saxons, which later became English, who migrated and colonized America. I mean, the Gomer and the Germanic peoples had a huge hand in the, the growth of the world's population. Magog, which as you look down further, it says Tubal and Meshech. These three became the father of what we know as Russia, the people of Russia. Madai is believed to be the father of the Medes, who would later conquer Babylon with the Medo-Persian Empire. And and Madai was also uh, believed to be the father of those who populated India, which, I mean, is a huge part of our population today. Javon is the father of the Greeks, the coastal people in the Mediterranean. Tubal and Meshech, as I said, are Russian. And Tiras, verse 3, the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, Togamah, the sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these coastlands, people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. Something about Japheth that's interesting is that when God went to bless Japheth through Noah and the blessing that Noah gave Japheth, he said that he would enlarge or expand Japheth. And we see that exactly happening here through the people groups that came from Japheth. In fact, uh, on an article from gotquestions.com, it it said it very concisely. It says that the descendants of Japheth included various maritime peoples, as well as Persians, listen to these other people groups, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Scythians, the Macedonians. Japheth's descendants spread over much of Asia and Europe, and through colonization of North America, thus fulfilling uh, Noah's prediction of expansion of Japheth. So many of the Americans today are descendant from Japheth. I also want you to notice in verse 5, it says that they spread into clans according to their own languages. And so what I find interesting, I find a few things interesting about this whole section that we're covering. Number one, that for God to divide the people, he confused their tongues. What, What was he doing? He created a difference among them that was accentuated. They were all together. They probably all looked similar at that time. They all spoke the same language. What God created a difference within them that would be accentuated. And that difference being evident naturally divided everybody. That's how division works oftentimes in communities. You accentuate the differences. You emphasize the differences within that nation, within those political parties, within 
you name it, the family, the church, you emphasize the differences and you will see division taking place, sides being taken, lines being drawn in the sand. And God does this intentionally. That's another thing I find interesting is that God is not always about unity. Sometimes God will divide. There are certain things that God desires division in. Things that Satan does not want division in. And a one world order is one of those things that God saw and said is not healthy. I will divide this. I will prolong this and keep this from happening. God saw the spiritual benefits of dividing these people groups. God has also commanded the church to divide from the world. That we would come out from among the world and be separate. We would be not divisive toward the world, but that we would divide ourselves from the rest of the world. In order to stand for Jesus, in order to stand for the truth, we will eventually see division in our lives. If you've never seen division for the sake of Christ, even in the, the most minuscule of conversations, I, are you representing Christ? I don't know. You know what I mean? If you are representing Christ, you will see conflict and division with the world around you. In fact, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus said, in fact, after his work would be accomplished, he said, many will, even houses will be divided. Right? Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, son-in-law against uh, father-in-law. These houses would become divided over the faith and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, on the other hand, there are divisions that Satan wants that God does not desire. And Satan uses the same tactics. He accentuates differences to get you to fight and divide. And he does this in the church, is one of the primary areas where God says strive for unity, but Satan brings about division. He says overemphasize the the non-essential doctrines. And it's as the saying goes, with the essentials, unity. We are unified in the essentials. That's where we draw the line as a church. If you don't believe in the essentials of the, of the Christian faith, we have to draw a line and divide. With the essentials, there's unity. With the non-essentials, however, there's liberty. And with all things, charity. With all things, we would be loving. Satan also wants to desire, uh, he also desires to divide marriage. The institution of marriage. God does not want division in marriage. He wants it strengthened and unified But Satan comes in and he accentuates the differences between men and women. In fact, we saw back in Genesis chapter 3, the result of sin was that man and woman, clearly different from each other, created to complement one another in their differences. But when sin entered into the world, what happened was an accentuation of differences. The differences now turned into um, opposition. That the woman would desire the man and the man would rule over the woman and there would be this conflict within the man and woman relationship rather than something that complements one another. It was because of sin, and that's how Satan works. And so I think what we should learn here is to recognize where we should divide and where we should strive for unity, knowing that the division, uh, the emphasis of differences causes that division, that we would strive for unity within the church, that we would strive to prevent overemphasis of differences within the church for the sake of unity. You find yourself in a group of people who maybe they don't all go to your church. Maybe they don't all believe in the pre-trib rapture like, like we do. And, we, and I really do believe in it. Hardcore. Pre-trib rapture here, maybe. But maybe you don't believe in pre-trib. That's fine. Like we, don't, we should not break fellowship because of it. Uh, I have other 
brothers and sisters from different churches, even different backgrounds, um, uh, being, being raised up and they love Jesus and they love the Word of God. And sometimes there's a temptation to go right to the differences and to emphasize those differences, but that's not always the wise thing to do. In marriage, we ought to strive for unity. Those of you who are married, those of you who will be married, you need to strive to have understanding towards your spouse. The enemy will try to get you to not have understanding towards your spouse. They're different. I don't get them. I don't know why they do this or say that or don't do this. Strive to have understanding. Strive to see your differences as something that God has intended as a blessing within that relationship. Verse 6. The sons of Ham. Now Ham, just a chapter ago, was the son that sinned against Noah. Ham and Canaan, right? And Canaan was cursed. Ham lost a blessing. He wasn't cursed, but Ham didn't receive any blessing from Noah. It says the sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, who's literally the father of Egypt, put and Canaan, the father of the Canaanites. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Reamah, and Sabteca. That's a fun name, Sabteca. Um, the sons of Reamah were Sheba and Dedan. Cush, the father of, uh, Cush fathered Nimrod. So now we see a very important, significant figure on the scene. His name's Nimrod. And he was, it says, he was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So who is Nimrod exactly? What's up with this guy? Now, Nimrod, he's actually not a good guy. He's not an honorable honorable man as this. It, It kind of appears that way. Nimrod's name means let us rebel. That's what his name meant. That's what he represented against God. Nimrod is a picture of the Antichrist who is to come. Nimrod was a preview of all the other future one world dictators and a preview of the final one known as the Antichrist. And he would lead a world, this world power that would live contrary to and in rebellion against God and his word. Now it says that he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Nimrod, this mighty powerful man recognized among all the other peoples as a mighty man. This means that Nimrod was a man of conquest. He would conquer the people around him. So he was able to gain control over this empire, as we're about to see in chapter 11, and lead this as their king, just like the Antichrist will do. And in fact, the picture of the Antichrist is in Revelation, one of the pictures is in Revelation chapter 6, the first seal that Jesus breaks open to begin the tribulation period is the revelation of who the Antichrist is. It says that as he breaks the very first seal to, to open up the consummation of all things, open up the tribulation period, that first seal ushers in a man on conquest coming in on a white horse with a bow. It says he's conquering to conquer. And that's what the Antichrist does. He comes in after the rapture happens, and the world is, the church is now removed, and the world is looking for a world leader, the Antichrist shows up on scene with all the answers, but he shows up with power and might, with the ability to conquer on conquest, just like Nimrod. Now, it says that uh, the Jewish tradition, as they would teach their students coming up, they would teach, according to the Jewish tradition, that Nimrod, when it says that he was a mighty hunter, before the Lord, it meant that he was a hunter of men. It meant that he was a man of war. 
and that he wasn't a man of honor, but rather he was a man of wickedness before the Lord. That's how the Jewish tradition, they would teach their, their students that text there. Verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Achad, Calneh, and it was in the land of Shinar, it says. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, uh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kela, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kela. That is the great city. So understand, Nimrod didn't just build the city known as Babel. Nimrod built this worldwide empire. He, he, he oversaw and ruled over the known world at that time. These great metropolises. Verse 13. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtahim, Pathrasim, Kalahim, from whom the Philistines came, it says, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemurites, and the Hamathites. These were all the Canaanite people. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory, the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adama, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. You guys know exactly where that is, right? And uh, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These would be the countries like uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, Syria. This was the region of the Canaanites where they dwelled. In fact, it was the land that God gave the Jews. He said to drive out the Canaanites. The Canaanites were, um, in a sense, holders, placeholders for this land that God would promise and give to the Jews. And what's crazy is the Jews only claimed about 10% of the land promised to them. But the Canaanites filled this region. So Ham's descendants, they went on to populate the areas of the Middle East all the way down into Africa and into the Far East. Far East Asian people as well. They've all come from Ham. And I think the big takeaway from Ham's genealogy is that as these people groups arose and populated, many of them became great enemies of the people of God. I mean, look at this list. You had the, the Egyptians. You had the, the Philistines, the Canaanites. I mean, these were the people in the Old Testament that represented the flesh, that represented the world. These were not good people groups in, in the eyes of the Lord, and they did not treat God's people well. And it's not a coincidence that Genesis chapter 10 follows Genesis chapter 9, where Ham and Canaan sin in their family, create this feud and this division, which leads, only several generations later, leads to nations feuding against each other. And I, what, this, what the Lord really showed me with this is that I might think, you might think that the sin in your life, the animosity in your life, the bitterness, that it's strictly isolated to your own private life, but it's not. Right? The sin in your life has potential, guys, to affect generations to come. Do you realize that? In fact, anytime you partake uh, in sin, approve of sin, harbor sin, tolerate sin in your home and in your life, you are contributing to the degradation of society. We don't always look at it that way, do we? To Ham and Canaan, it was, they were just having a fun time, that one moment. It was no big deal, right? 
But it led to serious scarring in the family, which led to division over nations. It happened to Cain as well, murdering his, son, murdering his brother, creating this huge family split, causing the world to head down a path of violence that led to the destruction of the world by the flood. Our sins have consequences, guys, and we need to remind ourselves of that. Your, comprom- your little compromises impact your witness in the lives of others. Nobody, nobody may even know what you did when you compromised, but it's on your face and it's on your heart. And it's on you next time you try to represent Christ. You are aware of that compromise. It impacts your witness for Christ. And it impacts our society. In fact, with each successive generation, the sin that is tolerated gets worse and worse and worse. If you want proof of this, just look at television, right? Go back to the 1950s. Watch an episode of Andy Griffith and then watch like an episode of a criminal show today. It's like so different. We've come so far in our immorality in the entertainment. And not just in entertainment, but just as a culture in general. And Ham, Ham was the father of one-third of humanity, so he had huge influence, bigger influence than you do, definitely. But just know that you still have influence. People are impacted by your decisions. Don't compromise. Don't allow the enemy to get in and to continue to propagate, perpetuate sin in your life. Verse 21. Now we look at uh, the Shemites, the Semites. To Shem also... Uh, the father of all the children of Eber, that's a significant statement there, the elder brother of Japheth, or as other translations better put it, brother, uh, the brother of Japheth the elder. It's more likely that Japheth was the older, the older brother. Children were born to Shem. The sons of Shem were Elam, who is believed to be the father of the Persians, Asher, the father of the Assyrians, Arphaxad, uh, Lud, Aram, who fathered the Assyrians, uh, the sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Uh, Arphaxad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. Now, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, which meant division. For in his days, the earth was divided. So kind of interesting there. The clearest understanding of that is that Peleg was born around the time when Babel took place, and the tongues were divided. Although, some scholars will say that they believe that this was when Pangaea broke up and the continents were dispersed. Could be, I don't, I don't know, I was not there, to be honest with you. But Peleg actually would have been the generation after Nimrod. So he would have been born into the empire of Nimrod and would have seen Babel take place. It was around that same time frame. So that seems to be the clearest understanding of that text. And his brother's name was Joktan. And Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelef, uh, Hazar, Ma- Hazar Maveth, that was the one I had the hardest time with, Jerah, Hadarim, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimiel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. Uh, verse 30, the territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So Shem, the godly line, This was the line that was chosen by God to carry the oracles of God, the testimony of God, Genesis itself, what we're reading. This was the line through which the Messiah would come. Shem would be the father of the Semitic people, which is more than the Jewish people, but it's come to just strictly mean the Jews 
when we use it today, like if you're, if you're racist against a Jewish, uh, the Jewish nation, you're anti-Semitic. That's what that's called. But uh, Eber is one of the prominent descendants of Shem. It says, Shem was the father of the children of Eber, as though Eber had a lot of children. Or Eber was a prominent figure within these descendants. Now, what's interesting about Eber, and I love this, is that his name means from the region beyond. From the region beyond. And this could perhaps mean that just as Peleg was named division when the world was divided, Eber was named that because he lived, he and his family lived in an area that was not like the rest of the world. In other words, it could very well be that the godly line of Shem did not run after the kingdom of, of, uh, and the land of, of Nimrod in the land of Shinar, but they rather lived in a region beyond. And so Eber became a prominent figure of those who lived outside, those, you know, those weird people that don't live like the rest of the world. Eber becomes this picture of the Jews who would be set apart. And in fact, Abraham would be the first man called a Hebrew, which is believed to be a derivative of Eber, the name Eber, from a region beyond, set apart. And of course, that's the picture of the church, that we would be those who do not live like the rest of the world, that people would look at you and notice something's different about you, that they would be able to call you an Eber, someone who's from a region beyond, like you are not of this world, is how the New Testament puts it that there's something different about you. Verse 32. It says, These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. 